0: Good morning. Good to see you guys. My name is Matt Sprinkle, as as Brad said, and I'm excited to start our new message series, Behind Enemy Lies, uh, today. I'd like to start with a question, which is, do you ever feel stuck in your life? Do you ever feel like you can't seem to make progress towards a goal? Or you just don't quite have the energy needed to deal with the situation and the responsibilities you have? Probably not today, because today we have coffee. So everybody's all lit up and they got a lot of energy some donuts afterwards. i excited about that. Um, but I'm sure you feel stuck. I mean, we all feel stuck at different points. You know you feel stuck when you have a lot of anxiety and fear about a particular area of your life. You don't even want to look at it. You don't even want to deal with it. You know, when you just feel like your strength is just sapped, you got no courage to keep moving forward. You know you're stuck when you feel like it's too hard. You're the only one. You're kind of alone and oftentimes our circumstances, they feel like they're beyond our control and that's horrible because then you feel hopeless like there's nothing you can do. And when you get in these situations, it's it's like two choices. You can try harder and and do your best. You know, you read the situation and maybe you're misreading the situation and you give it your best effort and it doesn't change. You can feel stuck in relationships. They're not the way you want. You can feel stuck in your work. It's not the way you want and where you are. And where you want to be, you don't know how to get there. People feel stuck in their spiritual life, in their faith, in their relationship with God. It's cold. It's, it's stale. It doesn't, it doesn't feel intimate and close. They don't, they don't really see God working in their lives. They don't quite know what's wrong. Maybe earlier in their life they were really on fire. There was a lot of zeal for the Lord, but it's been a long time and they're frustrated. They don't quite know what's going on and and how to get unstuck. And you read the Bible. You hear messages like this, and you see these pictures of people's lives in the scriptures. And, and yeah, they go through hard things like you and me, but they seem to have this power, this, this joy, this intimacy with God to, to punch through, to get victory, to, to realize the promises of God. And why do we get stuck? What causes the stuckness that we all face? Well, when you, when you read the Bible and you listen to God's evaluation and diagnosis of our situation, What you find is a lot of the stuckness comes from misunderstanding, ideas that we believe that aren't true, and just flat-out lies. Lies that we tell ourselves, lies that we tell each other, and lies that come straight from our enemy. This is a, a message series called Behind Enemy Lies. And in this series, we're going to be looking at some of the most common lies that we believe that get us stuck and how you can flip these with the truth and how you can break free, and how you can overcome. And we're going to be looking at some people in the Bible who are just like you and me, who have gone through the same difficult things that we go through, but with God's help, with the truth, with his power, they were able to endure, to keep trusting and obeying him until the things that God promised, the good that God wanted for them, was the reality of their life. And we're going to be looking at our enemy, who it is we're fighting, what his tactics and techniques are. And today we're going to focus on the battleground, And the battleground is the mind. That's where this battle is won and lost. God came into this world in the person of Jesus Christ so that he could teach us the truth and set us free. And the way that's done is in the mind. And so what we want to look at is the truth that God is giving us so we can see the situation the way he sees it, the way it really is. So that our hearts can get set on the things that his heart is set on and so that we can do what it takes to get unstuck, to get progress and success in whatever area of life you're dealing with. And so I'm excited to get started. Like I said, today we're going to be looking at the battleground. And the main idea is this. If you want to be free as a Christian to serve Christ, to be faithful and fruitful in your life, you have to master your mind. You have to get control of your thoughts. But first I want to back up and look at who it is we're fighting. Who's our enemy? I and mean, when we talk about behind enemy lies, who's the enemy In the behind enemy lies. Well, Paul answers this question directly in Ephesians 6. Here's what he says. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle, it's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is who we're fighting. Now, when you read that, like me, the first time I read that, that raised way more questions than it did answers. I mean, I, spirits and demons and devils, that's, that's weird. I don't know if I believe all that. But as I spent time reading the Bible and looking at my situation from God's point of view, what I realized is a major character, a major enemy to God and his people is Satan and his army. And so what I'd like to do is give you a summary of what the Bible has to say about Satan and his cosmic rebellion against God, and his war on us, God's people. And I'm going to use the boys from Bible Project to do it. Now, I thought about just sharing it with you, but every time I tried it, it was way too long. And they can do it short, and they can do it really well. And it's going to give you a good understanding of who it is we're fighting, what weapons he's using against us, and how we can overcome him. So let's go ahead and watch.
1: For most of human history, people have believed in some kind of spiritual realm that exists alongside the world as we know it.
2: Right, and the biblical authors are no exception.
1: Yeah, for them, the spiritual realm is a different kind of realm than ours. And to highlight that difference, the Bible refers to God's space as the sky or the heavens.
2: Because the sky is really different from the land. It's above and beyond. And up there are shiny bodies that move around. I think of these as flaming gas balls.
1: But when the biblical authors looked up, the stars gave them a way to talk and think about spiritual beings. In the Bible, they're called the sons of God or the rulers and authorities, or even sometimes the divine council.
2: So that sounds really important. What does the divine council do?
1: Well, they're introduced in Genesis chapter one, where they're called the host of heaven. That is the sun, moon and stars. And there, they're also called signs, meaning that their power and status symbolizes and points to God's power and status.
2: Yeah, so in Genesis 1 God appoints them to rule over the day and night. Exactly. And then later in the Bible we're
1: told that they were celebrating God's power and creativity when he created the world.
2: Like the cheering section of a game. Yeah,
1: right. There are also stories in the Bible where God invites the divine council to participate in making a decision. Like when they help decide how to bring down the corrupt Israelite King Ahab. Or in the book of Job where they debate God's policy of rewarding people who do good.
2: So they're like God's staff team. But why does God need a team? If he's powerful enough to create the whole universe, he could surely rule it without any help. Well, he doesn't need them,
1: but apparently the God of the Bible wants to share authority with others.
2: Oh, right. God shares his rule with human partners on earth. And so in the same way, there's a parallel story of God sharing his authority to rule with spiritual partners
1: yes that is until it all falls apart in a twin rebellion so you have humans who want to rule on earth on their own terms so they start building their own nation using their own definitions of good and evil
2: yeah the famous story of the building of babylon but check this out when biblical authors like moses or isaiah
1: looked back at the origins of babylon they saw more than just a human rebellion but also
2: a spiritual rebellion what was this spiritual rebellion
1: Well, there were members of the divine council who, like the humans, didn't want to represent God's authority anymore. They wanted to be God, and they rebelled. And so these created beings deceived humans into worshipping them instead of the Creator. And so Babylon becomes the biblical image for the combined human and spiritual rebellion.
2: And so God scatters the people from Babylon into different
1: nations. And in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses says this is when God also scattered the rebels of the divine council with them.
2: So the nations are handed over to spiritual rulers.
1: Yes, and this is why when the biblical prophets look out at the violent empires of their day, they see two dimensions to all the chaos and injustice. Human rebels who are being corrupted by the worship of spiritual rebels, the idol gods of money, sex,
2: and military power. Yeah, when humans give their allegiance to these powers, it leads to a world like ours. Right, and the best
1: example of this is the story of the Exodus, where we're told that the Egyptian genocide of the Israelites was inspired by Pharaoh and by the gods of Egypt. That's really intense. But it's not the end of the story. When God rescued the Israelites from Egypt and its gods, he invited them to become his covenant
2: partners and learn a different way of ruling the world. And they agree to it, but in the end, they don't honor the partnership. They give their allegiance to other gods.
1: And so this leads to their exile in Babylon, where they become slaves once again to a foreign nation and their spiritual rulers, awaiting a new exodus into freedom. And this is where the story of Jesus picks up. He said he was here to rescue the world and take it back from the rebels. Which rebels? The human ones or the spiritual ones? Exactly. For Jesus, it was all connected. When he marched into Jerusalem for Passover, he was announcing the ultimate exodus. He was there to confront and overcome all rebel powers
2: and authorities. And he did it by giving up his life. So this is what the apostle Paul meant when he said that Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities triumphing over them by the cross. Yes, Jesus
1: condemned our evil by allowing the rebels to unleash all their hate and evil on him. But then he overcame it with the power of his love and resurrection life. And then Jesus told his followers that all authority in heaven and earth now belongs to him. Now the ultimate human
2: and divine partner. This is really good news.
1: Yeah. And it's why the apostles started inviting everyone to give their allegiance to the risen Jesus to discover freedom and a new way to be human.
2: Now, while Jesus gained a decisive victory over the rebel powers, he didn't destroy them. They're still around causing problems. Yes,
1: and in fact, they are the problem. The apostles said that humanity's real enemy is never another human. Rather, it's the spiritual powers that animate our
2: cultural idols that inspire hatred, division, and violence. Ah, So when I see people hurting other people, behind it is the divine counsel gone rogue. How do you deal with this kind of enemy? Well, the apostle Paul said we can resist by putting
1: on the character traits of Jesus, like armor, faithfulness, justice, and peace. And he said that our only weapon is the word of God. That is the biblical story of good news that Jesus has overcome all rebels with the divine power of his life.
0: All right. That is a fantastic summary of the biblical information on who it is we're fighting. And if you go back to Ephesians six, the verse I read before, it says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world And against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is who's fighting against us. Satan wants to drag us down with him to hell. Hell was created for him and his angels in rebellion to God. And he wants to drag as many human beings down with him as possible. So, what's his weapon? How does he fight against us? His primary tool, his primary weapon, is lies. Satan lies to us. Now, have you ever lied? Probably. Let's not show hands, right? We don't want to do that. But we've all lied. And why do we lie? We lie so that we can control the information that other people have so that we can control them. When you control the information that other people have, you can control how they see the situation, how they see what's going on, and you can control them. That's why kids lie to their parents. So they can keep their parents from doing what they don't want them to do or to get their parents to do what they do want them to do. That's why we lie to our boss or to our spouse or to our friends. Human beings lie to control their world. It's a tool we use. And this is why Satan lies. Because he knows that if he can get into our minds and get us to believe things aren't true, <clears throat> that we will set our hearts on things that aren't good and that will bring problems and pain into our lives. Lies are his primary tool. Now, what form do these lies come in? They come in three forms. I E D's ideas, emotions, and desires. Satan tries to feed us lies, ideas that are not true. He tries to paint a picture of whatever area you're facing, whatever arena of life you're dealing with, that's distorted, that's twisted, that's not real. He feeds us ideas and then emotions that can explode at just the critical time you're about to trust and obey God. And he tries to stoke desires for things that aren't good, things that are going to destroy us. These IEDs are used at strategic moments when we're just about to trust and obey God, when we're just about to understand what God sees and what he wants for us so that we can actually make progress and get unstuck. Boom. He detonates the IED and he blows apart our faith. Now, you probably heard the phrase IED before, right? It's an improvised explosive device. Here's a picture of one. These were used all the time in Iraq and Afghanistan by terrorists against the American military, And these are homemade bombs that are buried at strategic places and then they're detonated at just the right moment to blow apart the American military so that they cannot accomplish the mission. That's how IEDs are used. They're hidden and detonated at just the right time. This is a great metaphor for how Satan attacks us. His lies come in the form of ideas, emotions, and desires that we believe in our mind and we take into our heart. And just when God is giving us a picture of what's really going on in a particular area of our life, when, when God is beginning to help us understand His perfect design for an area of our life, when our desire is beginning to grow, to actually trust and obey God, to actually take a step of obedience, which is a big risk, that's when the idea is detonated. And what's His target? What is He, what is He after? Satan has three targets. Your courage, your strength, and your obedience. He wants to get you discouraged. It's too hard. You can't do it. It's not going to work. You tried before. You can't can't make any progress. And then you start feeling weak. You kind of let go of your responsibility. You let go of his word. You let go of trusting him. And then he's got you. And he says, hey, why don't you just come over here? Enjoy a little pleasure. Why don't you just chase after this desire? And that's his ultimate goal. To get us to disobey God so that we will not trust and obey God So that the promises that God has for us will never be our reality. That's what he wants to do. So how do you fight against this? How do you overcome such a crafty enemy? And the answer is you do it with the truth of God's word and the power of his Holy Spirit. God gives us his IEDs, his ideas, his emotions, and his desires. And he does this through the Bible And with the power of his Holy Spirit, that's what every human being needs. If you're going to clear your mind of the IEDs that are planted there, of ideas that are not true, of desires that are destructive, you need the truth to flip the lie with. And that's why God gives us his word. In in Romans 12, 2, Paul says, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Stop thinking the way the world thinks. Stop setting your goals and your dreams with the images the world is giving you of the good life. Stop allowing just the emotional patterns of this world to just explode inside of you. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. As your mind is washed with the truth that comes from the truth of the Bible, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Here's what that means. God has designed every area of life. He has a perfect design for every area of life, a way he wants it to go, a way he made it to work. And it's good. It's pleasing. It's perfect. He can see the ideal marriage. He can see the ideal uh, exercising of authority and following authority. God knows what goals he designed you to set your heart on so that you can be prosperous and successful. God knows how he designed your words and your work to lead to blessing and prosperity. God knows how to make good decisions, and he wants to teach you how to do that. When you go through hard things, God knows exactly what's going on and how, as you trust and obey him, you can endure and walk with him through it. God has a perfect design for every area of your life. But we have ideas in our minds about these areas of life that are not true. And so what happens is we start, we start looking at our situations, we start diagnosing what we're facing, and it's not accurate. And then we set our hearts on the wrong things, and we get into trouble. If you've had children, you've seen this happen. They, they read the situation as best as they can, they think they know what's wrong, they try to fix it, it doesn't work. And that's us. We don't have the truth. We can't see God's perfect design. And so God gives us the word so that we can. So that our mind can be renewed and then god also gives us his spirit so that we will actually want to do it Because it's not just enough to know things a lot of people know what's good a lot of people know what's right But they don't want it what they want and what is good Those are two different things and what god does is he gives us his spirit so that we will want what he wants So that we can see what he sees so that we will do what he says and then the promises of God in whatever area you're dealing with can become your reality. Now, the Holy Spirit gives us this power. So in Ezekiel 36:26, one of the old prophets describes what's going to happen when God gives you his Holy Spirit. He says, a new heart I will give you and a new spirit. I will take from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to obey my commands and carefully follow my decrees. God's spirit will give you the desire that you don't have to endure, to hold on to the truth, to keep choosing to trust and obey God step by step until you have victory, until you get unstuck, until you enjoy the things that God wants to give you. In Second Timothy one seven, God describes the Holy Spirit. He says, our God has not given you A spirit of timidity, of fear, of anxiety, of discouragement. But God has given you a spirit of power. That's strength. That's courage. So that you can keep making the right choice over and over and over until you break free. Power, love, and self-control. And so here's the idea. God is the one who wants to come into your life. And he wants to teach you the truth about every area of life. He wants you to see where he wants you to go. What's going on with him? What's going on with you? What's going on in your situation? Who you're fighting? He wants to turn the lights on for you. And then when you see what he sees and the good that he has in store for you, then he gives your heart the desire to want it. And with that desire to want it, you start doing things differently. And when you face opposition, when you face hardship, when 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 you start feeling discouraged, God gives you strength. He allows you to tear down the old ideas that have got you in bondage. And so in 2 Corinthians 10:4, Paul describes it, the weapons of our war. You see, God's IEDs are used to destroy the lies that are built up in our minds and all the destructive desires and emotions that have root in our heart. His truth blows those things apart. And so in 2 Corinthians 10, Paul says, for the weapons of our warfare, they're not physical weapons of flesh and blood, but they are mighty before God for the overthrow and the destruction of strongholds. God will make you able to tear down Every false and twisted and misunderstood thing so that you can see like he sees. He goes on to say, and we demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the truth, against the knowledge of God. And God makes us able to take captive every thought and bring it into obedience to Christ. God helps us to see things as they really are. This is what the Holy Spirit gives you. So how do you get the Holy Spirit? That's a great question. The Holy Spirit is a gift that God gives to His people. And who are God's people? Those are the people who agree with God. God created us, and as His creatures, we were created to be a part of His family. To love Him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, just like He loves us, but we don't. We love ourselves. We set our hearts on our own desires. We are our own King we have joined Satan's cosmic rebellion against God and the right punishment for that because God is a just God. God is holy and right and good. And it is right for God to punish Satan and his rebellious angels. And it's right for God to punish rebellious mankind. But as Christians, we learn the truth that God is just, but he's also loving. He's merciful and he doesn't want us to, to die and to take the wrath for our sin. He wants to be united to us again. He wants us to come back into his family. He wants to be our father. So how do you square that circle? How do you deal with the sin that separates us from God? The answer is God sends his son, Jesus Christ, to become one of us, one of the human race, to represent us, the human race, before the father. And then because of our sins, uh, the Lord Jesus takes the punishment takes the wrath. That's what the cross is. He dies for our sins so that we don't have to die. He substitutes himself for us and he removes the sin that separates us from God. He cleanses us of our sin so that when God looks at us, he doesn't see the sin because it's been paid for. The sin in the present, the sin in the past, and the sin in the future. A Christian believes that and wants Jesus to be their substitute and wants Jesus to teach them The truth so they can be free. And then God gives us his spirit. He puts it inside of us so that we can begin to understand and see the situations as God does so that we will want what God wants and do what God says until the good life, the promises, the perfect plan for God in any area of life, it becomes your reality. That's what he wants. It's a really beautiful story. I want to give you an example. When I was younger, I was a swimmer. Uh, I swam uh, in college at Cal Baptist, and I was a, I was a butterfly, this stroke right here, a lot of fun, a lot of pain, but uh, I was a butterfly when I was a kid and I was good when I was a kid, but then I kind of plateaued and got stuck. And then at college, I, I just wasn't getting any faster and it was frustrating and I would try harder and it wouldn't get any better. You ever feel like that? Like you're trying harder in an area and it's not getting any better. Well, I had a friend, his name was Felix, and he was an Olympic Indonesian backstroker. And he was at Cal Baptist and he was tiny. It's a tiny guy. You know, if you know Indonesians, they're not big guys. They're fast, but he wasn't big, which was amazing because he won every race that he ever swam. He never lost a race. And so I would say, Felix, man, how are you so fast? And he would tell me about these coaches he had. And boy, I got a vision for what it looked like to be a fast swimmer. I wanted what Felix had. I saw what he had. I wanted it. So he told me that he was going to USC to work with this Olympic stroke coach. And that I could come with him. I was like, yeah. So we go to USC, just me and him. And this guy is just, he's a swimming savant. He knows everything there is to know about swimming. And so we get in the pool and we swim our strokes. And he tapes us above water and below water. And then he takes us up to his office with this big flat screen TV. And then frame by frame by frame, he begins to break our stroke apart. And show us everything that we're doing wrong. Oh, why are you doing that? Oh, your hand's in the wrong spot. That's a horrible kick. Why is your head there? And I'm just like Overwhelmed. By the criticism. And what he's doing is he's ripping apart the misunderstanding that I have about what perfect butterfly is. You see, I have an image. I have an idea in my mind of what perfect butterfly looks like. And I have been trying to do it. And it has led me to frustration. But this guy, he knows the truth about butterfly. And he drew it out on the whiteboard. And he taught me aqua dynamics, which I think he made that word up. But it's a great word. And he's like, okay, now, if you do this, and you do this, and you keep doing this, doing this, you will have this. He said, go back to Cal Baptist and change your stroke. Do these drills, and every stroke from now until you stop swimming, you've got to swim it right. And here's the deal, Matt. You're going to get slow. You're going to get slower. And then you get frustrated, and you're going to start doubting what I'm telling you, and you're going to want to go back to the old way. But if you endure... If you keep doing what I'm teaching you to do, you will get faster and you'll be the fastest you've ever been. That's exactly what happened. I go back to Cal Baptist. I change my stroke and I slow down. But I get encouraged by Felix. I get encouraged by my coaches. And as I kept working and working, my stroke changed and I got faster and faster and faster. This is a this is how it works. Okay, when you want to change, you have to see the good thing. that that you're moving towards. And when you see it and it captures your heart, you have all the desire you need to take the steps. That's how this works. You see things, you want things, and you start doing things. And what God wants to do is he wants to teach you the truth and the good about every area of your life. He wants to give you a vision of perfect fill in the blank. And then he wants to give you the power to obey him and trust him step by step until it is yours, just like me with the swimming. So a great example of this is in the book of Joshua. So if you're not familiar with with the, the story of Joshua, the Israelites were three and a half million people who were slaves for 400 years in Egypt, and it was bad news. And then our God reached into Egypt and took them out, and he poured out his wrath and his miracles upon Egypt because they would not let God's people go. He did it all by himself, and then he led them through the desert He led them by day and night. He fed them. He gave them water. And then he brought them all the way to the edge of this incredible land. It was beautiful. It's described as flowing with milk and honey. Houses they didn't build. Vineyards they didn't plant. And this was going to be the place where they were going to live. God was going to give them this land. And there they would dwell with God in peace and security. Their children would play in the vineyards. They would have rest and peace on all sides. This was the vision of the good life that God had put before their minds. They could see it. They could smell the citrus coming off the orchards across the Jordan as they looked out over this land. And God said, I will be with you. I want you to go into this land and I want you to take it. But there's one catch. The land is full of giants. The land is full of battle-hardened killers, wicked nations that are basically worshiping death that are that are betraying and warring against each other. And these people, God wants the Israelites to fight against and defeat and to clear out of this land. Now, they send some spies in because they're not quite sure what they should do. And when the spies come back, it's a critical moment in the story of Israel. Are they going to trust and obey God? Are they going to hold on to God's vision of them living in this promised land? Are they going to believe that God is with them? And obey, Or are they going to allow the enemy to detonate IEDs in their hearts? And so here's what the spies said when they came back. They said, we can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. It's too hard. They're too strong. So they spread this bad report. They spread the lie. They didn't just believe the lies. They spread the lies. And that's what we do. We lie to each other. They spread the bad report about the land among the Israelites. Here's what they said. They said, the land we traveled through and explored, it will devour anyone who goes there. It's not true. It's not good land. God isn't going to give us a good land. The land's not even that great. God's not telling us the truth. And then they go on to say, all the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought, too. And so what happened was these people, instead of holding on to God's promise, instead of believing that God was going to be with them, they gave into fear. They looked at the situation all wrong and they disobeyed God, which is exactly what Satan wanted them to do. And so God said, fine, you're going to wander around the desert. Every single person over the age of 20 is going to wander until they die. And I'm going to come back here with your kids and we're going to try it again. They wasted their lives. They got stuck and they never got out. And that's what Satan wants to do to us. He knows that he can't rip God's people from God's hand. He knows that these people are not going to hell, but their life is going to be wasted. They're never going to enjoy the hope and the peace and the promises that God has for them. He's going to get them to lose their courage, lose their strength and disobey. And that's what he will do against us. But then the story continues. Joshua comes back 40 years later with the children of Israelites and they come to the same situation. And God says the same thing. Go in the land. It's going to be awesome. I will be with you. And here's what Joshua says when he looks at the same odds, when he sees, you know, big cities and the Israelites have no cities, you know, battle hardened warriors and the Israelites are ex-slaves. These guys are giants and the Israelites are tiny. They have stone cold killer generals for kings. And all we got is Joshua. When you look at it on paper, there's every reason to doubt. But here's what Joshua said to the people. Joshua said, so Joshua ordered the officers of the people go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, we will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you for your own. How did he do it? How did he get strength and courage to obey? Well, it's because of what God said to him. And it's because of what Joshua chose to do. That we must choose to do. And here's what God said. He said, be strong and courageous. Be careful to obey. There it is. Satan wants us to be weak, discouraged, and disobedient. And God tells us to be strong, courageous, and obey. Be strong, courageous, and be careful to obey. Yeah, I get it. How? How? How do I want to do it? And then God answers it. Be careful to obey all the law my servant gave to you. Do not turn from the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night. Then you, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it, and then you will be prosperous, and then you will be successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be afraid, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And so you see there that that's it. Joshua held on to the truth. He kept the vision that God had put before them of the promised land given to them. And he believed God, the same God that delivered them from Egypt, the same God that led them through the desert was the God that was going to give them victory. He did not accept alternative ideas. He did not accept emotions that erupted. He did not accept desires for safety and security and maybe sign a treaty. No. No. He believed what God said because his mind had been captured by the truth. And how come? How did his mind get full of it so that he could see it the way I could see that perfect butterfly so that he wanted it? How did that happen? He meditated on the word day and night. That's the key. You have to meditate. You have to read the word of God. You have to let God's word get into your mind and cleanse your mind of all the IEDs. It is a constant discipline of reading the word of God, of trying to understand what God is saying, who he is, how he's seeing the situation. And if you meditate and meditate, and that means think about it, chew on it, read it, talk about it, memorize it, sing it back to God. Talk to your pastors, talk to your friends. We watch podcasts. We listen to sermons. I mean, you just fill your mind with what God is saying and you try to understand it. And when that happens, you begin to see the way God sees And then God makes you want what he wants. And then you have the strength to do what God calls you to do. And you can overcome the IEDs of Satan. So are you meditating on the word of God? Are you filling your mind with it? Do you delight in the word of God? I want to encourage you as we end Between now and next Sunday. And I want to invite you to come back next Sunday. Because next Sunday we're going to look at one of the big lies that gets us stuck. It's too hard. And you heard the spies say that. And the truth. And how we can get unstuck. And how God can help us. Come back next week. But between next week and today. I want to invite you. I want to encourage you. To read the Bible a little bit each day. And if you're not quite sure how to do that. I will be standing by the donuts. I'm not going to be in the back. I'm going to be by the donuts. Okay? And I'll be eating my donut. And I would love to help you. Pick a book that you can read a little bit each day, or you can let us know on the connection card. I would also encourage you to read it each day and pray. Talk to God and say, God, would you show me the ideas, emotions, and desires of the enemy that I'm believing? Will you show me what they are so I can reject them? And will you help me get to know your ideas, emotions, and desires? You see, we don't read the Bible so that we can get some customized list of do's and don'ts for the day we don't read the bible so that we can have this amazing understanding of the greek we read the bible so that we can get to know god what he thinks what he wants what he feels and who we are and as we do that god begins to transform us so i want to encourage you to come back next week and to read the bible each day this week and i would love to help you do that if you'd like some help learning how to do that let us know As I close, I'd like to pray. And I want to invite you, if you have never decided to follow Jesus Christ, if you've never acknowledged to God, yeah, you're right, I have been living my life for myself. Yeah, it is sin. I can call it that. And I want to be back. I want to be in relationship with you. I want to be one of your sons and daughters. And I want your spirit to come in me and give me power to change. Because I got stuck. I'm stuck in areas. And if you've never done that, then I want to invite you to pray with me. As I pray in your heart, you can say yes and amen. And if you decide to follow Christ today, please let us know in the connection card. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to teach us the truth that sets us free. And Father, we confess that we have sinned against you, that it has separated us from you. But we believe that you have sent your son to pay the price for our sins. And we accept him as our substitute. Father, please put your spirit inside of us. And empower us to see as you see and to want what you want and to obey you until the promises that you made are our reality. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.